0: Just before we get into it, I need to remind you that the Football Index podcast is supported by footballindextrader.co.uk, the best site for in-depth scouting and trading strategy. It's challenging times for traders right now and FITs, detailed analysis and strategy guides are helping hundreds of traders plan for success in the weeks and months ahead. And he's busy highlighting the value that has opened up in the choppy Market. As an exclusive offer for podcast listeners, you can give the site a try with 25% discount on your first month with code FIG25. Hello and welcome back to the Football Index Podcast, episode 133. I'm joined today by two debutants on the FIGcast. First up, FI Economist. How are you doing, mate? Hey, it's great to be on FIG. Thank you very much. You were saying before the show that you're an avid listener, which is a good change to some of the guests.
1: (laughs) Yeah, well, I I thought it's a good thing to get a bit dedicated to the podcast before you're going to make an appearance yourself, so obviously. (laughs) Why don't you tell us a bit
0: more about yourself, your Football Index journey and all that good stuff?
1: It's funny, it has been a real journey because it goes all the way back to (laughs) early 2016, so I. I had to check this in the transaction history, but I started out in Jan 16 with my first 10 pounds and bought one share of Moussa Dembele. <laughs> That's where it all began. And then, which uh, one, may I ask? <laughs> he would have been at Spurs at the time before he went oh, yeah, to, before he went off. But yeah, I think quite quickly I realised, right, this actually, <laughs> this 10 quid, I'm not really going to see much of this. So deposited a little bit more soon after, and basically loved the concept. But back then, the big question was like, is this legit? Mm -hmm. All my other mates basically saying, you're an idiot. You'll never see that 200 quid again. It's obviously a scam. I was like, well, I don't know. It looks like a startup. looks like a nice idea. But yeah, obviously that was the main question at that stage. And so I kind of dabbled for maybe the first year or so. And it wasn't until I kind of discovered maybe the the Twitter community, a little bit on their own forums and elsewhere. I realized this thing is actually quite legit. There's other people who've clearly put a lot of investment into this thing. So Mm -hmm. That was probably the trigger to give me a little bit more confidence, deposit a little bit more and go from there. So I'm sure we'll come on to things like strategy and how that's changed over time. But it's been a good four and a bit years now. Awesome. Wow. That is quite the journey. Is that before you? Or I mean, what was your user number? I don't know how to find that out. <laughs> <laughs> when did you join? January 29th, 2016. Oh, wow. We might be near enough the same month. That's when I joined. So <laughs> Might have seen the same ad. <laughs> Let me go on
0: the app. How do you find your user number? If you go to account, then refer a friend. You have a number there. Oh, I've
1: not got my phone on me. All right. No worries. <laughs> we'll do that experiment we'll later. we <laughs>
0: We're also joined by FI Kilp Jam. Is that right? Yeah, that's right. Yeah.
2: <laughs> How are you doing, mate? I'm good. I'm good. As I say, i excited. I've, I've been listening to this podcast for well, over a year now, I think. This podcast was one of the things that got me to understand the platform more and to like, really start having a bit more confidence of investing more um, or depositing more and, and you know gambling more, I guess. And so, yeah, so it's actually very exciting to be on. I feel very honoured. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, thanks so much for putting your hat in the ring. I think you just DM me like, listen, forget the foreplay. I'm going to go straight for it. This is my background. <laughs> this is what I've been doing. This is how long I've been on FI. Can I come on? I was like, you know what? Why the hell not? Why don't you tell us a bit more about your uh, Football Index journey? Yeah, so actually knowing that I was coming on here
2: did make me actually... Go back and, and also look at my transaction history. So I had joined, well, at least my first trade was on the 15th of September, 2018. So 18 months ago, you guys have still got a fair couple of years on me, but my first trade was Jayden Sancho. So a good one at £3.41 a share, but this was pre share split, I believe. So basically equivalent of like £1.15 in today's money. Sadly, I only invested £50. <laughs> I think my first deposit was £500. I can't even remember where I saw it. I think it was probably like a Twitter advert or something. And I'd, I'd heard about it before and thought I'd check it out. And they had the risk-free deposit. So I thought I'd give it a go. And yeah, so mainly at the start, I just invested in a few young English players thinking like, oh, I know a bit more than your average person out there. I had no idea how it worked. I didn't know what dividends were. I didn't really know what drove value. I just thought these guys are young. As more people join. They'll buy the same players that I've bought and I'll make some money. Since then, to this podcast and to Twitter and to you know, loads of things, I've, I've obviously come on a hell of a journey in terms of my knowledge. I'm also now, I've got friends who have actually just in, like in the last week because they've got nothing else to do. And so I'm sort of passing on some of my knowledge to them, which is quite interesting to make me think back to you know, the type of things that I wish somebody had told me right at the start. That's actually where the podcast has come in for me. Because so much of the stuff I've learned come from you and and your guests, really explaining how it all works and what we should be thinking about. So, yeah, it has been a hell of an eighteen months.
0: Awesome. I mean, that sounds like quite the journey. It's obviously trying times that we're in currently, and I think we've got some kind of the macroeconomic outlook of, I guess, the world and how that impacts FI, and presumably we're going to link those back to COVID nineteen. But before we get into all that kind of deep and scary things. <laughs> Got a miscellaneous question here from FI and Tonic He's right at the top now instead of the bottom, no longer the footer. He says, What cocktail would each of these footballers be? Haaland, Havertz, and Vardy?
2: Great question. I have to say, this is probably one of my favourite of all the questions that came up. And I'm probably going to jump in ahead of both of you and say that I think we all know what Vardy's is. And it's definitely a Jaeger Bond.
0: <laughs> I was going to say a Vodka Red Bull.
2: Yeah, well, it's definitely got red. I actually know a bit of a story about Jamie Vardy, which I don't know. I guess I can say it. He might be listening. Well, <laughs> If you are Jamie, you can tell me if this isn't true. But where I grew up is where Rebecca Vardy's from. So, like, some of my friends know her and have met Jamie Vardy on like nights out. And apparently, he literally does just order like five or six vodka Red Bulls and just sits in the corner and just like downs one every half an hour and doesn't talk to anybody.
0: (laughs) I cannot imagine that at all.
1: (laughs) He definitely loves the Red Bull.
0: Economist, I don't know if you want to have a crack at any of
1: these. I could actually jump in because I think I can trump your Vardy one because I've got a good friend who's a Leicester fan and I was speaking to him about an hour ago, mentioned this question and he said, well, there's only one answer, it has to be a Vardy bomb, oh. which I hadn't heard <laughs> of and that is a, a Jaeger bomb but instead of the Red Bull you actually have Blue WKD. Oh, so, God. Oh, Jesus. That sounds delicious. So there we go.
2: <laughs> you should have told us this an hour ago, we could have all got one lined up for right
1: while now. But. Yeah, we'd have one at the end. Yeah, the other two I found a little trickier. For Haaland, I've gone for a Long Island iced tea. So have I. <laughs> Yeah, it's he's a very long guy. That was my thought process. And he can
2: knock you out in about fifteen minutes as well.
1: <laughs> Great minds. Havertz, what did you guys have done? A dry martini. <laughs> because the German efficiency of this drink gets the job done very fast. But yeah, that is it was a weird one to go for. Havertz, I, I don't really know too much about the guy.
2: I did think about a martini. I thought it's gonna be something small and a little bit classy. But I actually went for a Cosmo because it's got that like kind of like colorfulness. But yeah, cause Martini mm. was on my short list.
0: Interesting. Well, look, I won't board list us anymore with going into <laughs> kind of <laughs> different types of cocktails and what footballers would be which cocktails. So I think we're probably best if we press on. Uh, Football Index Minor had a really good question here. And I think this is probably towards you, Kilp Jam, because I believe that you've got a bit of kind of startup experience and, and background yourself. He says, at what point would FI not be considered a startup? This
2: is an interesting question. Yeah, a little bit about me. So I used to work in banking and then a couple of years ago kind of realized that I was much more interested in kind of startups. I'm a bit of the sort of cliche, hit my 30s and kind of wanted to do something a bit more fun. And one of the books that like everybody reads who moves into startups is something called The Lean Startup by Eric Reese. I don't know if you guys have read it.
1: Not read it, but definitely heard of it. It's a
2: great book. It's a bit of a cliche, but like his definition of a startup, he basically says that it's a human institution designed to deliver a new product or service under conditions of extreme uncertainty, which I really like. And I think the key part is that last part is the delivering something under conditions of uncertainty. And if you think of what FI is trying to do, it's trying to deliver a completely new product to an industry that really hasn't changed that much in 100 years, other than, you know, obviously, it's gone online, but the basics of it, mechanics of it are the same. And so what they're trying to do is completely new. They're also now trying to bring in order books. They're going to try and go into new territories. There is so much uncertainty that I think you can definitely still consider football index a startup. And I'm sure they operate in the same way that startups do. Fig, you kind of touched on this. So I do work for a startup now. I work for a challenger bank for landlords called (laughs) usehammock.com. We're a team of less than 10. So we really are a, you know, a proper startup, but the type of way that we approach problems, I imagine is still the same way that. If I do, even though they probably have you know hundreds of staff, and I think that actually, again, it it sounds a bit like waffly, but I think the whole startup thing is more of like it's more of a way you look at your business and the way you do business. And I, and I imagine I'd like to think that they very much do operate in that way. And That means that they can be lean, they can change when users give them feedback. Although I think there'd probably be mixed reviews, and whether that always happens, but yeah. So I think until these kind of sports trading platforms are the norm. And until we're looking at a roadmap without any huge milestones, I think you'd definitely consider it a startup. What do you guys think?
1: You've said it pretty well there. I think there's probably a bit of a gray area between startup and not startup where a lot of companies fall, and I think FI will be one of them. Yeah, I was thinking definitely more towards startup still. Obviously, it's now about maybe five plus years old as actually a company that's had staff and been operating, developing a product. But for me, it was the fact that surely not profitable or aiming to be profitable already because they're aiming to grow they're still growing very rapidly we see that all the time and i think the fact that the core product it could change quite a lot quite significantly without losing what makes it so popular but if you think of things like order books or implementing nasdaq yeah it's definitely in an evolution stage it's definitely not at the destination so for me i agree with you it's a startup really I
0: think to your point, Kilp Jam, that the startup thing is more a mentality rather than just a certain point in time. You know, you have this many members in your team and you are suddenly not a startup or you've been alive as an entity for this many years and you're no longer a startup. And FI, considering how many people they have, probably in the hundreds now, just over a hundred or so probably, I've no idea, but I'm just kind of speculating, guessing here. It's tough for them not to be a startup, especially as you mentioned, when they are doing something so novel. There is not really a rule book. You know, there's probably some people that have been added to the board that are, you know, they have some more robust gambling knowledge and experience of building companies in the gambling industry. But even then, there is no rule book to what Football Index are doing. And to some extent, you have to do it on the fly. And to some extent that some of the ideas are going to be kind of new and exciting, and some of them just aren't going to work. So I think they still are a startup and they still consider them to be one probably in the next couple of years until we see them really expand to have you know millions of users and they're alive in several territories you can then start to call them I don't know what you call them I don't know like a challenger gambling company but Kilpjam, to your point you work for a challenger bank but you'd probably call yourself a startup first and foremost whereas someone like Monzo who have been around since the early 2010s they probably wouldn't consider themselves a startup more in the kind of growth phase of their company?
2: Yeah, I mean, I think even someone like Monzo, they'll still operate in a way that feels like a startup. Like they would probably still operate in a similar way than they did five years ago. They're just doing it with much bigger teams and a much bigger bank balance. I think ultimately, so coming back to what I was saying, so I think with FI, the minute you can start a year as a customer of FI and have a very confident feeling that at the end of the year, the product will look the same price the same and you know, the matrix will really be the same. I think at that point you can probably say you're moving away from startup into just a really established gambling company. I mean, it feels to me like we're still years away from that. And I think that's a good thing. I think they should keep that mindset.
1: Yeah, and I think as well, just if you then think about who they actually are challenging, guys like Pally Power and you Bet365, they're exactly as you described, like the product, the fundamental product they're offering is is not going to look any different really in a year from now. And FI far from that stage.
0: And if there is changes in those products, then they take a lot more time, don't they? You know, Bet365, do these Bet Builder things, etc. They don't just happen overnight in a company like that. It takes a massive amount of process to get new propositions out the door, really. We'll move on here. We've got a question from Bobby Axelwood. With all the positivity over recent growth despite COVID and optimism over future plans, order books, territory expansions, etc. What do you think threatens to stunt future growth on Football Index?
1: I really like this question, actually, because I think that's a very smart mindset to have when everyone's maybe all about the positivity is to think, okay, what could stop this? And likewise, when everyone's being all negative as they were maybe a month ago, those who thought actually this is a good time to buy in probably did really well. And I think since he wrote this question, there's been a little bit of a reaction to the Liga being cancelled. So I think the obvious answer to this for me is football not coming back for maybe a lot longer than a lot of us assumed. That's probably what everyone's a bit nervous about right now. Bundesliga, everyone had the high hopes about. But actually, that's not confirmed. And I think as we saw in France, it only takes one very high-ranking politician to be like, no, it's it's too bad a look to be the country that starts their football league first. Actually, a risk we don't want to take.
2: But do you think like no football, the longer there's no football, the longer that football index is literally the only player in town? I'm not actually 100% sure. As long as, as long as they deal with that, you know, if that was to happen, if we all found out there's no football for nine months, obviously Football Index would have to come up with a way to, you know, they couldn't just do the same media dividends every day. They'd have to be a bit more creative. But actually, like if you think back to the night when we kind of realized that football was potentially going to be off for a while, I remember being quite panicked and I looked at my portfolio and I, I sold a few players where the spreads are relatively tight. And then a few others I listed. Then FI widened the spreads and everybody kind of calmed down. And then I unlisted and probably like a few people did. But since then, I think the amount of new people who have come in just because they're like, oh, I'm so used to gambling on something. And my friends told me, oh, actually, you can still gamble on like media on FI. So I think it could go either way, but I'm not convinced that like no football for a while would necessarily mean that FI would struggle. And especially if the spreads are wide because then you can really only market sell anyway.
1: Yeah, I totally agree on that. I think that's why, in general, I'm pretty calm about what's happening at the moment. I think of all of that money that's usually rolling into, say said Paddy Power, Bet365 every weekend, well, it's now not going to be rolling into there. So there is one way of looking at it that this actually this could be quite positive for FI in a way.
2: What's actually kind of interesting, if you think, like what we are just saying there, it's like potentially a lot of new money has come in because there's nowhere else to go. But if football does come back tomorrow, how many of those people who have found FI will stay at FI, and how many of them will just go back to doing an accumulator at the weekends? So you could be in this weird situation where football coming back actually means that some people leave, or hopefully they've enjoyed it enough and they're now really excited to see what PB is and you know all these other things. I mean, I've got two friends who've just literally in the last week become absolutely hooked. They can't wait to see what like in-play dividends are like and performance buzz is like, and it's going to be really interesting to see how this all unfolds.
0: And I think a lot of football index traders have looked at this as a all or nothing type of thing you know at the beginning it was like oh well all football's going to be off and now it's kind of like oh well you know germany might probably finish their season and the premier league is probably going to finish their season france is obviously not spain italy kind of up in the air i guess we are as well but it kind of feels that traders are starting to gather that there might not be a very orthodox yes or no black and white solution to the kind of problem that is at hand and obviously That has been the case for pretty much everywhere in the world. No one's dealt with this problem in a very orthodox manner because it's completely unprecedented, obviously, as people keep saying. What would threaten to stunt the future of growth of FI? There are various things that could, you know. Could there be something like COVID? Could we go into the biggest recession the world has ever seen? Do you know what I mean? I'm trying to think of Black Swan events mainly. It's kind of like how you define stunt as well. If that makes sense, it's always, we get a a lot of questions in the past in terms of what would success be defined as for football index. And some might say, well, this has to become the biggest gambling company in the world. Others might say, well, if you get to a point where you have, you know, three, four, five million customers and you're in a few countries, that might define success. So that's another way of looking at it. The contents behind what is the stunting, if that makes sense, is as kind of equal or you equate it to when we talk about what would actually success look like for football index.
2: I also think you know, obviously, COVID is such a huge thing right now. But I actually think if anything is going to stunt the growth, and it is, it's been fairly straight line growth up to this point. I think if anything is, it's actually going to be a lot of stuff that they have a lot of control over. So it's can they fix IPOs, or do people just like lose patience bringing in order books? I mean, certainly you fig know a lot more about the order books than I do, but it is going to be complicated. There's definitely the chance that they get that wrong or there's the chance that they get it right, but people just don't understand it and it scares people away. They open a new country and that completely bombs. Like, I actually think most of the things that I'd be more worried about, other than football just never, ever returning, which I'm hoping none of us think is going to happen. I actually think a lot of it is probably stuff that they have pretty much full control over. And I hope they're not losing sight of that during all of this craziness.
0: I think that's a good point. It's obviously subjective as well. A lot of people said right at the beginning of the whole COVID thing that Football Index wouldn't survive this. Two months on, we're looking at the whole market cap's grown 20%. So those people were wrong by quite a distance.
1: And in in the context of where else your money might have been invested as well, I think is really interesting because that wouldn't have done very well in ISAs or obviously if you had FTSE tracker or something
0: some of it could have been like devastatingly bad to the point where you don't know when it would have recovered so it's very interesting to kind of think about it in that context we've got another question here before the index game outbreak break from fi headhunter how much do you think fi is worth as a business if FI issued a discounted share offer to active traders what do you think the take-up would be what impact do you think additional confidence in the financial status would have on market growth so i mean we'll take those one at a time what are your thoughts on this
1: yeah, this is a great question. Got a lot to it. But I thought valuing FI as a business was quite a fun way of thinking about it. And I did this first kind of as a comparison to Paddy Power or Bet365. And then I realized there's an easier way. My first method was to just think, okay, both of those companies, Bet365, Paddy Power, they're worth around five to 10 billion pounds, I think. And their registered users are about 20 times the amount of Football Index from the numbers I could scrape off Google anyway. So, if you were just simply saying, okay, it's the value of your gambling company is completely proportional to the number of users you have registered, then that actually already puts the value of FI kind of in the hundreds of millions, which to me actually did sound kind of reasonable. But then I saw, if you go on to Cedars, where they've been doing all of their fundraising till now. It's weird. I'm literally just typing that in to Google right now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I had a look at it. Do you have a look? Oh, so, so you know what I'm going to say, Dave? Did their last fundraising in August last year and that valued FI at 40 million quid. And if you think that's undervalued, you can actually still buy shares on the Cedars secondary market at that valuation. I just saw so it's interesting the comparison between that 40 million and maybe a higher valuation that a more naive estimation would get you. So, <laughs>
2: yeah, I think it is a really valid point you make. And, and but I think it actually gives me some confidence because. If that valuation is less, it's probably because F I make less money per user. That means that as users, we have more chance of making money than we do in traditional gambling, which I think we all probably agree with, which is why we use the platform. I mean, I was actually talking about the Cedars thing. I went back even further. I went back. I think it was probably their first rebase they did in 2016. and so they did that. They raised 800k at four and a half million pre-money. So you know anyone who invested then is probably looking at like a nice eight times their return already. Sig, do you know anyone you invested in back then?
0: I know several people and I could have done it myself, I think, back in the day. But I, you know, I didn't have much money and I decided to just not. The thing is, when you're investing in a company, and I have invested in startups since on Crowdcube and Seeders alike, it's very illiquid. So you are putting your money in there and you might not get it out ever. You might not get it out for a few years and you don't know what price you'll get it out at a few years. Whereas if you're you know, trading traditional stocks on one of these kind of digital apps these days, it's pretty simple to get in and out on a daily basis, weekly basis. I do know quite a few people that invested probably just to kind of help the company and, and kind of feel like they're part of something, if that makes sense. Not particularly for the money. I don't know that many people that invested heavily in the, in the thousands, so to speak. The other thing is like,
2: you know, if you'd have put 10 grand and invested into that Cedars campaign like you say, you'd probably be looking at like paper investment now of maybe 70, 80K, but you couldn't necessarily get it out. Whereas actually, if you'd put that 10K into a few players, I actually think you'd probably make more.
0: Oh, yeah, for sure.
2: You know, the question of like, you know, if they offered a discounted share offer now, would you take it? I think the question is like, do you back yourself to make more money from your own picks? Because effectively, you're just buying the entire market. Mm-hmm. So if you think you can, you can spot any value, it's not quite that because there's obviously some intangibles based in the overall market cap. But if you think you can spot value in the market, I think any money you've got, you're probably better betting on individual players than the overall company because the risks are the same. The risks are that football goes under, that football index goes under. And as long as you don't concentrate all your money on one player, you can mitigate like injury risk. So I think I'd back myself just to
1: invest in players. Yeah, totally. If, if your idea of diversifying from your fi portfolio was to buy a little bit of (laughs) fi the company then i can suggest there's a way you can improve on that diversification but given the choice between those two i think it's just more fun to put it on players you think you know good bets rather than the whole thing but actually you know we know other trades out there like don or whoever else they want to bet on the whole company so they want to buy every player pretty much and yeah that's why it's suitable for different approaches
0: I think that on the last question, you kind of mentioned it earlier, didn't you, Economist, that when at the beginning of your Football Index journey, your friends told you that you would never see that £200 again. Obviously, it was a bigger risk back then in 2016 because it was such a small market, very niche one. There was only media there. What has changed since? And also, do Football Index need to go further? Additional confidence in their financial status? Would that have a, a massive impact on growth?
1: Yeah, I think I remember back to weighing up Deposits and buys back in the very early days. And, and it felt like, according to their maths, I think it started, it was 20p for a media win, and it was only media. The top players were max five pounds. You know, I just did the back of the envelope maths. I was like, well, someone like Neymar is going to be a big player for his whole career. He could win 20p hundreds of times. So I'm not betting on whether that's a good bet. Like, that's obviously good value if this bet can actually be seen through and this company is going to survive and pay that bet back, it felt like that was the bet you were making back then, which is probably why it was hard to take off any more rapidly than it did, because yeah, that does feel like a real gamble on on a startup, basically. Whereas now I feel there is a general basic level of pretty good confidence in the market. I think that's probably, for me, that's strengthened, seeing how they've coped with kind of an unprecedented shock with COVID, how they actually responded to kind of stem the impact of that shock by increasing all the spreads, etc. So from me, having seen where it was to where it is now, I feel really confident and encouraged by the position. But of course, it's still one company. There's a lot of uncertainty still. We've discussed that we still think it's a startup, so it's not a safe investment. I think it's actually always unhealthy when people talk about putting money in FI as an investment rather than (laughs) as a bet, although I can totally see why same arguments can apply to the stock market in many cases as well. Certainly, yeah. I mean, it's speculation
0: at the end of the day, isn't it? Stocks, insurance, betting. But Football Index isn't a regulated investment product and and shouldn't be treated as one. I hope people aren't that are listening to this. But just before we move on, just need to plug Index Gain. If you guys are looking for some data, whether it be on MB or PB, then Index Gain is your go-to place over on indexgame.co.uk. If you use the code FIG2020, you get five quid off your first month and a six-month membership. If you go for that one, you get your first month free and five quid off, which is a pretty, pretty sweet deal. It's an awesome product. They've recently, two or three weeks back, released a media buzz and report. You can essentially see every single news article of every player from August 2018 onwards. So Considering we're in a situation where MB is probably the most important dividend, then it's nearly a must have at this point. So, yeah, indexgain.co.uk, FIG 2020 is your go to code. Got a question here from player poacher, FI. How has your trading strategy differed from 2016 to now? And what have you felt has been the most effective strategy for you, economist? I'm... <laughs> I guess I can go about that far. <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah. But it'll be interesting to hear how Kilps has changed too since two years ago, right? For me, I've never been at any point completely set in stone on one strategy. I think I've matured quite a lot since 2016 as well in just how I think about the whole thing. But I've always kind of stuck to some general principles which haven't really changed too much over time. And the biggest one for me, which to me felt like a huge edge at the start, was just to think of the value of players in terms of career dividends and therefore a player who's 24 is worth way more than a player who's 30, all other things equal. And that's actually why I first set up an FI Twitter account called FI Economist, because I saw that a lot of people just weren't thinking about value in that way. I realized maybe it's not really their fault. It's actually I'm thinking of it in this way because I've studied economics, that way of thinking. And so I basically yeah, joined to kind of make that argument. And then PB Man came along and made that argument even better and <laughs> put his money where his mouth was a lot better than I did. And I think actually that's a debate. For the ages now, we don't really, no one's disagreeing that that's a really important thing. But I think related to that is also career trajectory. So, not just their age, but what kind of milestones do they have ahead of them, big like transfers, or have they actually generally been improving or not, things like that. And then a third principle, I think, is to try and look where other people aren't. Or if someone's focusing really heavily in one area, it's to think, okay, so what are they ignoring? I think that goes back to the question about what other things could stunt growth. It's just about having a more contrarian mindset. And I think that paid off for me a lot when I first went into Pogba. This was probably just before the World Cup. And it was a couple of months after that where he basically exploded and never stopped. So I eventually sold way too early. But I realized people were quite unfavorable at Pogba because of his on-the-pitch disappointments. I think he was being left out of the team, getting into all these kind of arguments. But I think I realized, well, That could be really valuable in other ways. If there's that tension with Mourinho, that's got to bubble into something and kind of did. So that's a principle I think has been really useful. And then I can just mention on what's really changed about my approach was I went from probably really heavily under trading. So I, I just thought the way to beat the market on FI was to just minimize your commissions. So basically bet and stick and hold. And I know some people, they still, they really go for that option. But then I was probably swayed by seeing a lot of people who had a totally different approach. They'd be in and out of players in a day. But if that player goes up 10% in that day, you're not going to worry about the 2% commission. And that led me to eventually being a bit of an over-trader in the last maybe year or so. (laughs) I actually probably think of it as greedy trading, same-day trading. And it's a little bit addictive to think, okay, if I'm just going to sit here at my laptop and buy the player who scores before 3pm, whatever, then I can get on first for a 10% rise or whatever. And yeah, I think in the end, the time put into doing that wasn't worth it for me. But like we've seen with others, they can be really, really successful with that strategy. And before I ramble on too much about strategy, I've got so far one that's been pretty unsuccessful, but I'm trying to persevere with is going off players who are well below their peaks. And now that we've had a relatively mature market for a few years, you can actually look at some of those 12-month Six month graphs, and you're like, okay, this player is half the price he was six months ago. Is he half the player he was? or his prospect half? Probably not. That hasn't really paid off yet.
2: How much does age come into it for you when you're kind of looking at those peaks? Like, how much do you think? Well, like an older player, they might just be past it. Whereas, a like younger player, it might just be
1: form. Yeah, I think it's always at the back of my mind because I think the one I think way you can really lose hard on football index is maybe backing a player on the way down too hard. Since I've been on, I've seen Rooney and Ibra hit amazing highs. And I just thought, okay, but they're not going to be playing at the very top level forever. At some point, someone has to lose. And maybe I was too risk averse to ever. I don't think I've ever even owned Messi, which I hugely regret.
2: I've never owned him either.
1: To me, I just feel like as long as I'm sticking to the players who generally have their best of their career ahead of them, I can't go too far wrong.
2: It's funny, like, I've been on just over 18 months. And when I first joined, I actually had nothing... I didn't understand anything. Like I didn't even understand that dividends is what drove players. I think there's a part of me that kind of thought it was a pyramid scheme, but it was a pyramid (laughs) scheme that I could make some money on in the short term as long as I got out in time. You know, and actually, again, through listening to this podcast a lot of times, just like realizing, no, there is intrinsic value here and you need to, you know, you do need to look at the stats. You do need to do your research and be smart. But I actually tried to make a list of like some of the phases of my journey. I think when I first started, I should say I'm a Leeds fan. Anyone who sees my Twitter profile will see it. It's a picture of Bielsa. And so it's actually Leeds being good during the last you know, two years has actually been really profitable for me because I probably would have bought Leeds players anyway just because I like Leeds players. And the fact that they've actually, you know, looking like they're now going to be playing in the Premier League, fingers crossed, (laughs) you know, has been profitable. But when I started, I just bought players I liked or, you know, players who were young or players I didn't think anyone else had heard of, like Jack Clark, players like that. And then... The Champions League run of Ajax last year was where I really realized just how fun FI could be. because I got on, I saw a few of their games, thought they were amazing, like got on a few of their players really early. And then just like following them through that tournament, even though that Spurs goal ended up costing me quite a lot of money, it was a hell of a ride and so much more fun than just regular traditional gambling. And even like, considering how much money I had in the platform quite early, I put in thousands, like, you know, single thousands, but like really early when I didn't really know what I was doing. And I remember... Everyone knew that Eden Hazard was going to sign for Madrid. And I was just thinking, oh, you know, he's going to be in the media loads. You know, it's a no-brainer, like just not realizing then that if you leave the Premier League, you're losing 25% of your value pretty much. So I made so many mistakes. Luckily, since I sort of put really like decent amounts of money and I actually know what I'm doing now, you know, I tend to make less mistakes. It's interesting listening because I know, Fig, you have so many different guests on the show and like, you know, some who are like purely driven by data some who are purely driven by like intrinsic value. And I totally understand all of those points of view. And I think it's a really good foundation and a really good starting point. But so much of my trading is around like sentiment and just trying to put yourself in the mindset of me 12 months ago when I didn't know as much. And just thinking, you know, like if a player gets an England cap, it doesn't matter whether they suit the matrix or not, they're going to rise. But one of my biggest holds, I don't know if you saw the comments to your tweet, a couple of my mates, giving me a stick because I always bang on about Calvin Phillips. He's been pretty much my biggest hold for a year and a bit because in, in my head like he will 100% play for England and he probably because he's going to be filling this gap that we just haven't had for ages I think he's going to have a bit of the Owen Hargreaves effect of where like everybody's like oh he's the missing link and all that.
0: <laughs> Do you reckon he's that
2: good? <laughs> Trust me he is that good. He is like and if you'd have asked me that 18 months ago two years before Bielsa came in I would never have said that but like the player he has become is absolutely incredible. The fact is, like someone else will say to me, and I've, I've had this debate on Twitter, someone will say, well, his game doesn't suit the matrix. And they're 100% right. But that doesn't stop the fact that if he ends up playing for England and signing for, God forbid, like Man United or something, <laughs> he's going to be £4.50. So a lot of my trading is, is less around the data. Even though I do know it's there and it's kind of in the back of my mind, I very much think more like, you know, what are people going to react to? And I think if you start understanding that, you should make money. As Again, with the provisor that you can get out, you do need to time your exit. But it has been an interesting ride right, in my strategy. I think it's probably still at its heart is following sentiment and following players that you know are going to get a move or who I see are going to develop and replace a more established player in their team and, and that kind of thing.
0: You can certainly make a lot of money from it. The issue, I suppose, is very much what you described, getting out at the right time, because If these players don't display, I suppose economists, you were probably going to maybe jump in and say this ahead of me, but they don't display at least facets of intrinsic value below them for a long time, then their prices are going to tank. That's usually the case for a lot of these players.
1: I was going to jump in really and just say, actually, it was a valuable lesson that took me a long time to really learn that it doesn't matter what you've calculated, they're going to have earned 10 years down the line. because. By that point everyone's they're laughing. They've made loads of money on these players that you weren't <laughs> buying because yeah, yeah, you yeah. thought, Oh well, he doesn't you know, he doesn't meet my data criteria or whatever. So I think, like you say, it's important to get out. What always gives me a bit more encouragement on that is I think even when players there's a sign that they really should be plummeting because, you know, they've made their first few games for the new club and actually it's a bit of a disaster. You don't even really see massive falls. you probably see a bit of a slide, but you can mm. still get out of those trades. So I think Really, and a lot of people do it really well, but tracking the momentum and just predicting at what point the momentum is going to tail off is probably the best strategy you can have, but equally, maybe the hardest.
2: I've definitely found, for me, my regrets are always that I leave players too early rather than too late. I did it badly with Haaland. Funny thing is, I kind of missed Bruno. I bought him really cheap, probably about a year ago, I think because he didn't sign for United in the summer, I lost patience and sold him. And then obviously he like rocketed But the only thing that made me feel better even about that is that I know I would, if I'd have been on Bruno before that, I would have sold him at four pounds or five pounds. Like I would never have held him as long as some people did. And I ended up buying in at like nine pounds when I just realized you just can't afford not to. So I think for me, it's not really getting out of trades. It's often trying to stay in trades when you think it's hit a peak. But again, I I think that's probably, it's probably not a bad thing to be risk averse and and take profits, but they are generally the ones I regret.
0: (laughs) I think I've got a video on my channel called why selling bad is not necessarily a bad thing. And it's kind of to do with, if you imagine a bell curve, if you sell kind of on the way up to the peak of that bell curve, then if you reinvest that money into a player that is at, right, at the bottom of that bell curve, the compounding effect of buying someone low, selling them kind of medium to high, then getting on low again is actually quite hard. And it's just quite big, isn't it?
2: And it's much easier to sell on the way up. So, yeah, I mean, like, and you can always market sell. You know, if a player's still rising, you can market sell. But it's been interesting. I don't know what you guys think. I used to be a big believer in kind of like buy the rumor, sell the fact. So I'd buy players who looked like they were going to get transfers, like Dan James was a good example. And then as soon as he baited, but pretty much the second he signed for United, I put him up for sale because I found that a lot of players, after they've lost that big media story, they tend to fall. But then you had like Haaland who just, Signed for Dortmund, which wasn't the United that everybody thought it was going to be, and that's when I sold. And then he obviously scored 100 goals in five minutes, and like, and he, you know, he's now seven pounds or seven hundred fifty or something. And the same with Bruno, like landed, and just went off like a rocket. So I don't know if you guys found you're kind of reassessing transfers yeah. and maybe hold on to them longer.
1: I could definitely relate because I think that's something that's actually really changed over the years. Because, like you say, buying the rumor and selling the facts. That was actually pretty surefire good strategy. I find maybe two years ago, for example, Sanchez to United, Coutinho to Barcelona. I mean, it's easy to predict that, you know, after a few months in Barcelona, people won't care about Coutinho anymore. But at the moment, he was in the news every single day and it seemed like it was going to go well. But having seen that happen, I basically had the same experience as you with things like Bruno thinking, okay, we know the rule is now he's made the move people are going to get bored move on to the next thing so let's get rid of Bruno and yeah we all have a lot of regrets about that but
0: what are we going to do when Coutinho signs for Newcastle <laughs> <laughs> I think the thing is with all these moves is that like with Bruno he came in and continued to win media dividends and, and started scoring straight away he's almost been one of the best january signings we've ever seen in the premier league and obviously Haaland as well I I just think there was with Bruno I think there was just like a misunderstanding of how good he actually was I think yeah not enough traders had seen how good a player he was. With Haaland, it was kind of a little bit of that, but also like, oh, well, he's now gone to Dortmund and all that money in him was United money, blah, blah, blah. And then it's kind of like the same people that sold him then would have been the first people that bought him when he scored that goal. So, I mean, to your point, Kilpjim, it's very, (laughs) is it very interesting and easy to see how quick sentiment turns and I think on those two players, it to and fro so consistently and so fluidly until we've now seen that maybe they're kind of here to stay as kind of premium assets.
2: Do you think they're like the exception rather than the rule that it's like if you're holding a player and they get a move, kind of the move that you were planning on when you bought them, are you more likely to hold on to them now? I think I maybe am. I think I maybe give them the benefit of the doubt for a bit longer.
0: It depends what move they make. For me, it's always like how big an impact can that player have at that club? For example, I don't know, like if Liverpool signed a centre-back right now or a right-back, let's say, then I could probably quite confidently say that unless one of those is Koulibaly or Sergio Ramos that they're not going to start. So if they did get bought by Liverpool, I could probably see that they are going to rise in price. And I think to some of the conversations we had earlier. But long term, that price might not hold because there's just not going to be much impact from that player at that club. So it's all about, for me, how much they're going to play, how significant are they to that team. Obviously, Bruno's come in and just become United's best player straight away. That doesn't really often happen at a top six club. Haaland as well comes in, becomes Dortmund's second best player to Sancho. It doesn't really often happen.
1: Yeah, and I think the other January transfer that everyone forgot about was Minamino, which Mm. if you look at his graph, it was a lot of excitement, as you'd expect leading to it. And then that huge never-ending slowly gradual decline as people realise oh, it's actually quite hard to get into the Liverpool starting yeah, I
0: mean, in, in hindsight it's so easy to say right it's like oh well actually they've got Mane, Firmino and Salah two of which have been you know, the top Premier League scorers for the last two seasons one of which who won the PFA Player of the Year two of which have been in the Ballon d'Or reckonings like, do you know what I mean it's, it's not exactly <laughs> yeah. going to be a walk in the park for Firmino to get into the squad or get into the first team. And I think a lot of people need to kind of stand up and realise that a lot more. There are so many players that could go so many different places in the summer, but how many of them are going to have a significant long-term, long-standing impact on the club that they're going to? I think that's the most important question to ask before you even look at kind of the dividend potential.
2: Yeah, with the transfer market completely up in the air as well, I think this, this year is going to be really interesting. I think, Transfer sagas will probably go on longer, so you probably will want to stay in them for longer. And then PB is so, I say, uncertain right now that people might try and get out quickly. So you might see these like slow, steady rises and then like really fast declines. So I think it's going to be a really interesting year, actually.
0: For sure. There's definitely a lot of weird and wonderful transfers that we could see. We've got a question here from the Grey Adder, and I think this goes on from your last sentence there, Kilcham, quite well. To what extent do you think FI's growth has and will have a causal relationship with a wider UK macroeconomic environment?
2: Yeah, so well, I mean, I think we'd all probably agree that we've been so nicely surprised by the way that Football Index has handled it so far, you know, especially when you consider, I know it's because they've put certain things in place, but consider, compared to other financial markets, my money has been so much safer in the end in a gambling platform than it would have been if I'd had it in the FTSE, for example. I kind of alluded to earlier, I remember the night when the penny dropped for me, they are like, oh God, football is actually, you know, there, there aren't going to be any games this weekend. There might not be for a while. I did start to panic and I did start thinking, you know, should I put this money in? Should I try and get it out? But actually, if anything, this has given me more confidence. And I think, I mean, obviously, if this does turn into a massive recession, there's less money in people's pockets then there's less money to deposit etc but but it actually in the same way sometimes i found a lot of my friends who are probably less financial savvy they're all at this point because you know, markets are down. Everyone's kind of thinking, oh, everyone always says in a recession, this is the time to invest. So I think you may find users who are coming in who are you know probably wrongly You're thinking, I don't have as much money, I need to make some money. You might actually have, have that, which I hope you don't, but it's certainly possible. And I guess it's, then, it's just how quickly we come out of this and how quickly football comes out of this will, will kind of depend on
1: how FI grows. You touched upon like how coronavirus has this effect on individuals. And I think there's actually quite an asymmetric effect because you've got some people who lose their job. And actually, if they had money in something like Football Index, they want to get that out if they can. And actually, that's going to be really difficult. Whereas I know people who it's not a problem to do their job from home. And suddenly all this spending money that they would usually be taking to the pub each weekend, maybe putting on an ACCA, all kinds of things, holidays, whatever, suddenly they have. And something like Football Index is probably quite interesting if people like that come across it. And then just more generally, I, I think gambling as an industry has a bit of resilience to recessions in general. I think there was quite a lot of commentary after the 8 09 crash that gambling was one of the industries that wasn't really hit. Maybe because people have it as this, it's always the cash that they can afford to lose. So it's something that's it's always there to an extent or who knows what the reason is. So I think in terms of that, there's maybe less of a correlation with the overall picture. And then another thought that I thought is kind of interesting, but probably hasn't ever really been discussed in relation to FI, unless I've missed the chat, is what if we actually had an economy that had high inflation? Because I think for who knows how many years, decade or more, we've basically had really low inflation and and almost zero interest rates. If you were in an economy of the past where inflation was like 10 to 15%, which wasn't even that unusual maybe 20 years ago 30 years ago or even longer how would something like fi work where they're not topping you up with an extra 10 percent? If you see what i mean Hmm. i don't know the answer to that question but i thought it was interesting thought i think they'd do very badly (laughs) yeah you would think
2: (laughs) (laughs) It's probably the answer
0: (laughs) i don't know many businesses that
1: would do very well
0: (laughs) it'd be quite some crisis i mean we've kind of answered what would cause fi to stagnate question i guess a little bit as well with that one i think yeah, for now, there isn't really that big a link as we've seen with COVID. But in the future, who knows, really? Got a question from FBI Trader, who was a superstar guest on last week's show. You guys should definitely check it out if you haven't already. He says, do you think random forest regression would work well when developing a model for FI data to predict PB scores? And what do you see as the brightest or the biggest hurdles preventing the average trader from performing more in-depth statistical analysis?
1: Economist, I'm
2: going to let you
1: cover this one. Last part of his question, what's what's preventing the average trader is probably that we're not all as smart as FBI trader. (laughs) I've very much enjoyed his episode last week. He's clearly a really smart guy with some great ideas. I at least have come across random forests (laughs) before that I can give a very, very basic explanation. That it's essentially a prediction model where you show the model lots of past data. So in this case, it would be maybe players and attributes about that player. The club they play for, their age, basically their statistics of how they play football. You would tell the model, okay, this is the PB scores that this player has got against these teams when these teams fielded these 11s. Yeah, you know, there's probably no limit to the amount of data you can show your model, and then in theory, you use this model to predict. Okay, so how are all these Liverpool players going to score when they play Villa at the weekend? And you know, you could do that, and it would give you a number. Would the number be realistic, or would it be really valuable? Would it be helpful? I think the problem's so complex that maybe there's not enough data. Maybe if you had 100,000 games in the Premier League each season, you could do a really powerful model that would tell you who to go for each week. I think with the amount of uncertainty and lack of data and all the intangible things that would be very hard to capture in data, that it would take someone very smart, maybe FBI trader, to do this.
0: Is this maybe what he's
1: getting at? Yeah, so maybe this is what he's working on <laughs> behind the scenes. And we can all subscribe to his new data service in a month's time.
2: I mean, the thing is, if everybody was using that data service, then it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy anyway. Because, you know, if everybody's looking at the same data, to say, buy Trent Alexander-Arnold this weekend, and get the filler, then everyone will buy him and it
0: will rise in value. You could probably most accurately model players for 90 minutes or a few fixtures, but I think we said on the last couple of podcasts, it's just so hard. You actually can't model a player's career especially if they're like under 25, it's really difficult to do. It's hard for me to see how that would work really.
1: I certainly won't be implementing it. (laughs) And just to mention on the other part of his question about what hurdles to people doing more data stuff could be, I still think this is probably a bit of a gap in the product that I'm sure is on FI's radars around actually currently you have to go to index gain or one of the alternatives if you really want to get that in-depth data, which it's probably somewhere in the FI servers, in the archives. I'm sure they've got it all. And there are a few corners of the website and the app where you can go to an individual player and see you know, how many crosses they make on average per match. But actually, I think longer term, it would be more democratizing the data if everyone could access through yeah, the main product. Okay, I'm going to go on this player and I immediately see this is his average PB score. These are his top five. Basically, They might need to compete with index gain a little bit, but I wouldn't be too worried if I was index gain.
0: (laughs) Yeah, there's a host of things that people could do. I think there's always the elephant in the room about whether FI are going to kind of open up tools and allow people to kind of more regularly see data. But that's probably for another episode, I suppose. Just before we move on, just need to plug The Athletic. This episode is brought to you by The Athletic. They're an amazing in-depth sports coverage site and they've got amazing journalists such as Rafa Honigstein, Sam Lee, David Ornstein, et cetera, all writing on there. They're telling stories you won't find anywhere else with no ads and no clickbait. If you want 50% off your annual subscription for the best sports writing around, go to theathletic.co.uk slash fig and it's £2.49 a month if you go for their annual deal, which is pretty, pretty cheap. Boys, been buying anything that costs you more than £2.49 recently? Funny
2: you say that. So I actually, I've sat here with a can of Brewdog Punk IPA, which cost exactly £2.50. Wow. <laughs> so slightly more. On the Athletic, as a Leeds fan, it would be remiss for me to say that any Leeds fan knows that the best sports writer out there is Phil Hay. And the only place you can find Phil Hay is on the Athletic. So that's worth the 49 on its own, I think.
1: For me, the last purchase, I guess, was to try and keep up with all these Strava 5K challenges. I realised... My running shoes weren't really up to scratch. What I didn't count on was delays to delivery. So even though I ordered those a couple of weeks ago, I still haven't had to do my 5K, which is quite good. But yeah, I subscribed to the Athletic from day one actually because they had this 249 offer, and it just seemed, you know, like a really interesting offer. And all of these sports journalists who I'd come across elsewhere coming to one place. I even used one of the Q and As, which I can really recommend, to ask Rafa Honigstein any under-the-radar Bundesliga players. (laughs) It hasn't paid off so far because the guy can't get into the Leipzig eleven. but would recommend... Who was it? So he said Amadou Haidara is a guy that everyone should keep an eye on, but it's hard to keep an eye on him if he never gets a game. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah,
2: Rafa's normally right, so I'd imagine in 12 months we'll probably all be saying we should have bought him.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Those
0: Q&As are really good, actually. I've done a few on the Arsenal side of things with James McNicholas and a few other established arsenal writers that they've gone in there. I really enjoy them. They're definitely really good during transfer periods as well, if any Q&As are happening from really prestigious journalists. Got a question here from FI Gardner. When order books get implemented, do you see instant sell still being an option? Would not having instant sell put off traders who would no longer have a cash out price on their bet?
2: Order books is something I, sort of, I think I understand on a theoretical level, but I'd be interested to know how they do implement. I mean, my gut feeling here is that there always has to be an instant sell price. The platform doesn't really work. If you've only see a buy price, I just don't think anybody would buy. What may happen, I think you probably know a bit more about this than me, but what I think will happen is FI will probably set a sell price, but perhaps lower than the one that they would set today. And then they're just hoping that market makers and other users are going to fill that gap and tighten those spreads. And that you'll probably end up with some fairly big, Market makers who probably cover most players trying to pick up bargains where they can, and then everyone else kind of filling in the gaps. Does that kind of sound how you think it would go?
0: Yes, but I don't really see market makers coming in straight away. Economists, I don't know if you agree or disagree there to provide liquidity.
1: Yeah, I mean, to be honest, I'm also not 100% sure I understand order books. I think I get the general concepts. Sometimes I'm like, why would I want to put a buy order in for a player who might only drop to that price if he gets an injury? in which case i wouldn't want him anymore so i need to do a bit of research on <laughs> what i'm missing but on the instant sale point i think it's a really good question because you actually talked about it on your own interview fig i think a couple of weeks ago about how that was a real game changer when they brought that in it completely yes. gave everyone so much more confidence that in the worst case i can get my money out and maybe take a 10 percent hit at worst and actually that was one of the early booms when people were like okay this is serious now and um, got a lot more confidence in the product. So you obviously don't want to have the reverse reaction if you suddenly remove that feature. Maybe a long-term goal could be to have so much liquidity in the market that it's really not needed. But I would really be a bit concerned if their plan was to just get rid of that on day one and then see how the market reacts, which (laughs) might not be so pretty.
0: I mean, it's not on right now. So uh, I guess
1: this is the tester. There's no way to react then.
0: Yeah, I don't think that Instant Cell would disappear. I think that FI will maybe set spreads of 20% or so and let us trade in between. I really do see that as the easiest and the option that they'll go for, I suppose. And we've got a question here from Double Cheers FM. Question to FI economists What do you think is more important to help you with the football index, your economics background or pure football knowledge? Stats versus watching a player? The age old question.
1: Yeah, I think we can all answer about stats versus watching a player. But it's a good question. I think the way I think of this is if you want to buy a player thinking that he's undervalued or whatever, you must come with some kind of edge that you think you have because you're basically saying, let's assume the market's really mature. The market's got this player wrong because I know a bit more than the average person in this area. Now, when it's talking about me personally, I think, yeah, I'm really into football, but I think there are so many footy addicts who are very knowledgeable about the game, about European football, and I wouldn't bat myself to necessarily have deeper than average football knowledge than your average trader. So for me, I kind of lean to the stats if I really want to make a big call on a certain player. But I think, as I mentioned in the journey of my strategy, it's been an evolution from purely looking at those numbers to trying to understand all of the considerations with a player. reminded me of a real good example, when I, I thought Leo Paredes, when he came to PSG, would be top of the index because I'd been tracking his stats at Zenit. And <laughs> you know at Zenit, he was putting in basically stats that would get him what, 250, 300 PB every other week. And I was like, well, this is great. Now he's going to finally get paid back for those performances. What I didn't consider was maybe the standard of opposition in the Russian Premier League and the fact that it's easy the to fall out as well. with Thomas Tuchel, well, he's barely played. In the end, I got quite lucky because he won PB when actually Neymar was awarded the goal. I don't know if you remember that.
0: Yeah, the scandal. I do remember that
1: one. I got away with that one, but that was a real lesson. I've had quite a lot of them. Of If you just look at the stats, if you just look at Sofa score, and you don't really understand the context, then you're not going to get very far.
2: <laughs> context is so important, I think, in all of this. I don't think you'd ever do one or the other. It's not a case of like, do I just do stats or do I just watch players? You need a mix. Although actually, from the sounds of FBI trader last week, it sounds like he doesn't actually watch any football and still makes loads of money. So there are all sorts of ways to do it. But I think for me, I've signed up to Index Game twice, mainly because it's on Slack and I use Slack for work. I found it distracting. <laughs> I've never really been as big into stats as I think some people. I tend to just get a bit of a gut feeling for the way somebody's like trajectory is going in terms of their overall career, watching them in games, seeing how important they are, how likely are they to be the person that people are talking about. I've definitely found my trading strategy is often much more around watching a player or somebody recommending a player to me and then sort of doing some research and and looking at stats as like a secondary thing to confirm rather than ever starting with stats and then finding these players kind Mm. of like FI economy, like you were just saying, That you did. So it is really interesting to see how different people can come at this from a totally different angle. But I think everyone kind of does a bit of a mix of all of them and hopefully ends up in a profitable position
0: Awesome I think we've got one last question from Football Index at Home a very apt name (laughs) at this point in time How far do you spread your cash to mitigate against risk? I think it's the age old question after the stats versus watching a player diversification versus I guess concentration of money into certain holds What's the strategy you tend to employ economist?
1: Yeah good question I think there's obviously a load of people have different approaches to me I quite like what EJ has to say about this in that to actually benefit financially from it for Blindex, but also really enjoy being on it and seeing how your players perform. You kind of need or should have, if you can, sort of a minimum number of players so that, well, when football's actually on, your players are playing in different competitions. They're actually getting in the starting 11 and their price is moving up and down because of that. So I've always hovered around roughly 30 to 50 players, probably. And from, you know, some minor ones where you might have 10 quid into bigger holds. Yeah, I do find even with that many, it's hard to keep track. And I fall into the trap often of getting stuck with dead wood, basically, especially now players who they don't have any short term value and suddenly their medium to long term value starts to get questioned by things like no football being on. So I think to me, that's a kind of comfortable level anymore wouldn't really work for me. But yeah, obviously others have really different approaches.
2: I'm kind of heading towards where you are. So when I started, I knew so little and I didn't really trust my instincts enough. So I was definitely of the opinion that, you know, as I added more money, I, I wanted to spread it out. I didn't want one bad injury to just decimate my portfolio or one team going out of a competition. So I think at one point I probably had around about 100 players. I didn't split it so evenly that it's like 1% per player, <laughs> but it was a pretty even spread. And then just as I have got more and more confident with the players that I just, really believe in, in, you know, in the medium to long term, like the players that I think in two years' time, like, I can have a really good stab at what I think they're going to be worth if, if they hit the milestones I think they're going to hear. And so I've come down from probably about 100 down to about 50. And I'd probably rather have it less. And actually within that 50, I've got, for my top five holds, I was looking at this earlier, I've got probably nearly between 8 and 10% of my portfolio in each of those top five holds, so there is quite a lot of concentration risk there but kind of going to economists point of like if you don't have enough players then come a big Champions League night where's the fun and so I think you do need a bit of a spread and then but you do need you know I'm at a point now where I, I, I don't mind having like 5k in one player and saying I believe in this guy so much that even if he was to you know get injured tomorrow in 18 months time he's gonna make me a good return I think that's probably a journey most people go on is just you start to trust your instincts you start to shrink your portfolio, but then there's always these new players
1: that you want. They're a bit like Pokemon.
0: <laughs> <laughs>
1: but you can't have them all. You've got to try and have a bit of self-control, I think. Is that the second mention of the Pokemon index on the podcast, Fig?
0: Yeah, it's the second in the last three or four episodes, I think. Unfortunately or fortunately, whoever you are,
1: I'm not
2: even a Pokemon player, but it was your mention last time that made me
0: think of that. <laughs> Fair enough. I think that's all we've got time for. I don't want to keep you gentlemen here all evening. It's been fantastic having you both on. You've spoken about, it seems like maybe hundred different things in just over an hour, which is pretty amazing and it's absolutely flown by. FI Economist, where can people find out more about you?
1: Yeah, so obviously you can find me at FI underscore economist on Twitter. I saw you highlighted me as um, a chess enthusiast, I think in your original Twitter post. Did I? Are you in th- a chess enthusiast? Well, that, the funny thing is, enthusiasm doesn't imply any skill, quality, uh-huh, ability. Okay. But yeah, lockdown it's one of my lockdown new hobbies. So if you want to challenge me on chess.com and almost certainly win, you'll find me at Kenny is King,
0: all one word. I think Martin O'Regan is probably
1: definitely going to take you Yeah, uh, he's going to decimate mate. me, I think.
0: <laughs> Just live stream that. Kilp Jam.
2: Uh, yeah, so on Twitter, my handle is actually at Kilp F. I think I meant to do FI and I must have just missed it off. <laughs> but my Twitter name is killjam underscore FI. So yeah, I'm sure you'll find me on there. It's a fairly new account, which I sort of set up just for Football Index because I'd sort of been reading kind of FI Twitter from afar for my regular account. and uh, I thought it was probably time to dive in a couple of months ago. And it's definitely a good decision. If anybody isn't involved in the Twitter community, I think, you know, whilst it has, like any community, it has a uh, few ups and downs. I think overall, it's such a great way to get a. Feeling for the sentiment of the product and talk about things that you're interested in. You know, because not everybody has you know 100 people to talk about FI to. So yeah, I think anyone who's not involved, get on there and get talking.
0: Yeah, get on and get talking. I like that. If you guys are still commuting right now, you're one of those essential workers. Then keep up the amazing work. Thank you so much for all your hard work out there. If you're not commuting or working at home, doing whatever you're doing, have a great day listening to this. Sorry, we didn't get to answer all your questions. There were quite a few, and obviously limited time last but not least Football Index is a gambling platform only bet what you can afford to lose and stop when the fun stops thank you very much for listening everyone have a great day